0: Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whiteismypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life— To restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work to reconnect the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. And you can learn more, by the way, about my Connectfulness practice and all of my um, really exciting upcoming online offerings over at Connectfulness.com. I want to make a note that this episode was recorded back in December of 2020, and I know it's taken me a while to get it out, and if it feels at all outdated, I mean, there was a different administration at that point, Um, that could be why. (laughs) So I think much of this conversation is still incredibly relevant and really necessary for us to just allow to wash over us, and I hope that you enjoy it before we get started and before I introduce you to my guest, I want to tell you a tiny bit about these upcoming online offerings that I have. The first one, and time may be like now that you need to register, is that I have my Supporting Your Relational Self. It's a six-week online relational course based on the work of Pia Melody, I recommend that course a lot. A lot of folks have really gotten a ton out of it. I also have my online two-day RLT Essential Skills Relationship Bootcamp. I'm co-facilitating that with Jules Shore and Victoria Issa. We co-facilitated one back in October of 2020. And I'm just so excited to bring this work to groups of folks. I highly recommend that If it interests you, you join us. You can come as an individual or you can come as a couple. Therapists are also welcome to join us. And if you're interested in the RLT model, this is an amazing way to really deepen in and experience it and embody the practice. If you're partnered, I highly recommend bringing your partner. And uh, there are CEUs available for therapists, but this is really just an amazing course. It's been known to really turn relationships around in a weekend, literally a weekend. It's two full days online. And uh, you can learn more about both of those offerings at connectfulness.com offerings. And then, if you haven't already heard about it, Jules, Vicky, and I are going to be launching another podcast. So around that time, which is going to be in the spring of 2021, I'm going to take a little break from the show to give that show a little energy to get it out into the world. And then I'll be coming back to this show uh, probably in the summertime. And so... That podcast is called the Why Does or Why Doesn't My Partner podcast. And you can find that at whydoesmypartner.com or whydoesn'tmypartner.com. Either one will work and take you to the same place. And there you can actually submit questions that you want us to answer. It's a podcast for inquisitive couples. We're going to be bringing all of our relational experience and our trainings into this. And it's going to be a short form podcast, meaning that It's not going to be long like these. You can get like little bite-sized answers to some really fun questions. And we would love to hear from you to help us produce the show and for subsequent episodes and later seasons as well. So feel free to check that out. Again, that um, is why does my partner or why doesn't my partner. And uh, we would love to hear from you there. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Rick Butts. Rick is based in Ohio, and he is one of my teachers. I first met Rick through my study with the Healing Our Core Issues Institute, which he founded together with another one of my teachers and a past podcast guest, Jan Bergstrom. Rick has extensively trained and been mentored over the past decade by Pia Melody. He has also trained with and been certified by Terry Real, and he's also completed the three-year Somatic Experiencing Training Program based on the work of Peter Levine. I have found that the work that Rick and Jan teach together in the Healing Our Court Issues Institute, which is very much based on a lot of the teachings of Pia Melody, is life-changing. Truly life-changing. And um, in this model, we learn how to facilitate these really experiential weekends, this workshop that um, is deep And uh, provide some really lasting healing that allows folks to achieve new insights and learn how to really, really integrate new behavioral skills that can enhance pretty much every aspect of life. And so in this work um, that Rick and Jan teach through the Healing Our Core Issues Institute, there's really five core issues that we talk about. We talk about learning how to love the self, we talk about learning how to protect the self, how to really know the self, how to um, ask for what we need, and how to do that all with a sense of balance and vitality. All good stuff, right? So today, in this episode, one of the things that I really wanted to dive in and explore with Rick, was this bit about knowing the self. There's something there, it gets tangled up with some of these other issues, but there was something there that I just really wanted to extract more, to understand more. And so that's what Rick and I are gonna be diving into today. And I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast. We're here today with Dr. Rick Butts. Hi, Rick.
1: Hi Rebecca, it's good to be with you.
0: It is so good to be with you too. I want to let our listeners know that I met you through Healing Our Core Issues Institute trainings that um, I have done with you and Jan, one of our past podcast guests as well. And um, I have really just uh, found that this work healing our core issues, the, very much in the model of Pia has really affected me as a person and as a clinician. And I'm really excited to have you here today to share with us. Thanks for being here.
1: Rebecca, I think we've known each other about a year. We did our initial training last November in Boston. And um, I remember then being very much impressed with the woman that you are And over this last year, it's just been um, my privilege to get to know you and you and I chatted a bit before we started, but just um, I appreciate the work that you do, your passion and adding, excuse me, adding this model as a part of of your work because it's changed my life, Rebecca, part of passion. And as the Institute was established in 2013, and has moved forward is to allow more individuals uh, to have access to what I believe is transformative work, deep work. Yeah, I'm glad you're here with you. I,
0: I think it probably bears repeating, but how would you describe this work? I know Healing Our Core Issues teaches a, a methodology that we call Dart, uh, Developmental and Relational Trauma Therapy. Um, how? What would you summarize as the essence of this work
1: um i appreciate you asking that and one of the things as i was reflecting earlier today and sharing with you as we were doing this interview was actually that so i feel like you read the um notes that i have taken oh good so uh, is that is that spiritual probably is you know that uh an opportunity for you and I to be together with this, because I would love for us to dialogue. There are Mm -hmm. four elements to this. And and I did think earlier, uh, as folks are listening to you and I talk, that um, each one of these, as uh, this has unfolded over the last seven years, has become more significant to me. So if it's okay, I'll just talk about the four areas and then the dark processes. Yeah, please that um the first one and each one of these uh some of your listeners may be familiar with or the concept might be a new concept but that in this work uh we begin with this idea of mindfulness which is taken from the work of Jon Kabat-Zinn and uh, Rebecca, love this simple definition that is one of the most complicated things that any of us will ever do, and it's a part of the work, is to be in the present moment, consciously aware, experiencing reality with no judgment.
0: It is so hard to do that, and it is also such a simple definition of the work. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree, Rebecca, the idea of being present, like right now that you and I are present, um, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, you're in your office, in New York, York, and that um, I just I am tempting right now as you and I are being here together to be embodied and to be present with you. And an example of this is that I am doing a podcast and I will not do this perfect and that's okay. And there is a tension within me that I I want those who are listening to you and I um, to hear this and and to gain something from it. And to be honest, for me not to goof up, (laughs) but to be human is I will make a mistake. Um, I'm a folksy kind of guy. So I'll move in and out between saying goofed up and in my best professional self saying that I'm able to be articulate in the thoughts that I have, Rebecca.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and this is it, right? So to be present in the moment, to be consciously aware of our reality and to stay in a place of non-judgment. Yes. This, this is what you're talking about. This is that modeling of how we how we hold ourselves in the moment. Yeah.
1: Yes. Very, very much. So is. And that again, in just working with people, Rebecca, I believe this is a gift where you or I, or the therapists that are listening to us are to the best of their ability, practicing what we're going to talk about today in the core issues. And, uh, Being present as a witness for that individual that is sitting in front of them, I believe that that is healing. So just the fact that we are in the present moment together, no matter what the story is, that the person who is sitting with me, sitting with you is telling. Um, This goes back to uh, the 1950s and Carl Rogers, unconditional positive regard the ability to truly hold that space between the two of us, that is sacred work.
0: And, you know, what, what strikes me as you say that Rick, is that because we're talking about healing our core issues, because we're talking about developmental and relational trauma, Mm
2: -hmm. it's
0: that unconditional positive regard, that witness, that's often the place where the initial interruption happened, Mm -hmm. where as, as, you know, as, as little beings growing up in the world, Mm -hmm. there wasn't, or there was too much in an intrusive way. um, Mm -hmm. Right. Enough of that unconditional positive regard. And that's, that's what we're working on healing from. Yes. And so in the presence of the relationship, that's, that's the work. Yes. Yeah.
1: And. That as you and I are just sitting here noticing that. Um, reflecting on it. Um, that it ties in. That was a, a. Wonderful segue to the second thing that we really try to understand. And that's attachment. Mm-hmm. What you were just describing is the idea. Of. That. Um, child being born into a family system. And. And. We do this in a couple of different ways and I'm using the term attachment right now, which has become very popular. Um, and I would love to know your thoughts on it as well as you've studied, but is that it's taken from the work, which is again, fascinating. The 1950s were quite an era of, of Bowlby was the first individual who had been you know, trained in the classic analytic of Freud. And he said, you know, these things are important and we really want to understand this early connection, leading um, this person to their way of forming a way of viewing the world. Yeah. And it's about connection. You know, I, I am making up using Healing Our Core image language, Rebecca, that uh, there was a thought in the name of your practice.
0: Yeah. Connectfulness.
1: Connectfulness. hmm And it's so important for us to understand. And as your listeners are reflecting right now about the way that their experience was in their family, and it's nuanced, is that a lot of times folks who work with us will say, Oh, um, that was fine. Mm -hmm. And when we are sitting with them and we begin to explore this, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and we really, help them look at this in a deeper way like what was that like when you were early in your life and a lot of times people will say Rebecca I don't know and it's like well let's uh what I'll say to people is um let's make our best guess with the data that you have and it's okay And then this is where, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but somatically, as we are sitting, talking, sometimes people don't have a knowledge, but they will feel in their body, what was that like with you and your mom, zero to five? So this is the early part of self. And it builds up, what was that like with your father? What happened in the system with mom and dad? What about the siblings?
0: And, and so, you know, in, in the moment when we're, when we're having these conversations with our clients, when our clients are bringing this into therapy, there may be often um, a lot of not verbal memories, right? Because we store memories in our brain in, in language. And so mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff happens in a pre-verbal state. Mm-hmm. And so we're not storing the memories in that way, but we're storing them in our body in other ways. Mm-hmm. And so this is where the work becomes really somatic because it's about that mindful tuning in Mm non-judgmentally to notice what am I feeling in my body? Where am I holding it?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of information that we can get there too.
1: And one of the things that I will joke with my clients, Rebecca is that when we ask them what, what is happening, we're talking about what, you know, or what you're making up. And so where do you notice that in your body? And they'll be like, what are you talking about?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever had that where you're trying to oh, yeah. pause and have them, you know, the work of Peter Levine and that's part of training and somatic, just that those small, again, moments, uh, that micro sensation that they feel in their tingling in their feet or their stomach or their eye. There's so much information right there.
0: There's so much information right there. And what always impresses upon me about this work is how much as a society across the board, whether it's through our institutions like our educational system or religion or at home in our families of origin or culturally or through the media or whatever, we get these messages that we're like head up creatures, right? That we don't, it's kind of like we don't have bodies or our bodies are supposed to be X, Y, Z. And so we have learned and conditioned ourselves unconsciously to tune out from whatever we're feeling on that somatic level. And so bringing it back together is such an important part of the work. Coming back, like even just noticing my feet on the floor, Mm -hmm. starting at that level is really, really helpful.
1: It's interesting you just said that because just as you said that, I noticed my feet on the floor. Mm Mm-hmm as we're sitting here and so i would just reflect this to the listeners right now wherever they're at and i know a lot of times i'm in the car and when i'm listening to a podcast or i'm getting you know um dressed i'm multitasking oftentimes but i'm just going to say right now that just as as we're doing this together that's part of what's happening like where we were talking mindfully about you being in new york me being here doing our work together this interview uh, I would say that with this also is just notice yourself, you know, right here, right now and be curious. Just yeah. Right. Now.
0: Yeah. Just be curious. Mm. So, okay. So these are two out of the four things, mindfulness, attachment.
1: And the third part is informed by the work of Pia Melody. And I know that you've had um, Jan and LaShonda on your podcast. And if people have not listened to either one of those, I would highly recommend they go back. Jan and I co-founded the institute together and LaShonda is one of your peers. Uh, She's gone through the training and um, really is a a part of her practice is that uh, we call this core issues work again based on Pia's work. uh, She called this post-induction therapy and as we've moved forward with this and there are uh, five things that we talk about within this. So, this would be the third part of this is that, and I'm not sure if you want to talk about that right now.
0: Let's name the five pieces. And okay. then we'll put some extra emphasis on the third one because that's what we want to circle back to today.
1: That's okay. great, is that, and people, uh, have heard a little bit about this. I know you've talked about your work and um, so that the brilliance of this, I believe is that these are, and I'm excited to say this, Rebecca, is that uh, as Jan and I have been preparing 2021 and you don't even know this is we've been you know, working with some things moving forward for the Institute and um, that we are now calling these birthrights. This is something that has emerged. And so as you've talked about it before, so this is the first time I, I want to laugh and use my humor. This is, you know me, so I'm, I'm uh, keeping an eye on my teenage part, my adapted teenager. But is that like, I want to drum roll because I'm real excited to share this right now is that this is just some language. And so again, it'll be fun for you to hear this and react with me. But uh, Pia called this the nature of a child, which, which mm-hmm. is true. I believe, and have been thinking about this over the last few months, is that I wanted to take this even deeper in that this is the nature of a child, but these are actually birth rights. Each right. precious baby that is born into this world, no matter what the story, is that this is what that little one deserves. Oftentimes, this is not what they get, and the work that brings them to your office or mine is to uh, get their story straight and to understand how this has influenced the way that they live their life. The developmental trauma wound leading to the relational trauma, the struggles, and especially you're a couples therapist. Mm-hmm. My trauma meets your trauma. The I and the we is what I say to my clients come yes. roaring into my office.
0: That's in there. Because, because so often, I, you know, if, if I extrapolate this a little bit, so often I learn how to see myself in the presence of another. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm in the presence of another, all of what I have learned about how to see myself comes roaring back.
1: Roaring back.
0: And if there are devel- early developmental um, wounds that have never been witnessed... And then I might just be either reprojecting them or acting them out or finding a partner who matches my negativity bias or finding a whole bunch of different ways to try to work that stuff out, to try to heal. And I don't always have the the knowledge base for how to heal. And that's what this work brings us to is that knowledge base, those skills.
1: And that's why I'm so passionate about it, Rebecca, is because... You and I have both, I know you've shared it before because I listened to the interview that you and Jan had almost a year ago. It was January's when that was published. And um, uh, so I know you've shared that. Your listeners have heard you talk about it. Jan said that, and, and I too, I said that earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's changed my life. And these things that I'm now just gonna bullet point Yep. because we spent some time talking about it. But again, as the listener, um, part of my background is education. And so I can't help myself in being a teacher, even in a podcast. And part yes. of what I know is that if we slow down just that half second pause, it helps us to be able to take it in and everybody will have a takeaway. What I know is yeah. that what I'll hear in listening, this, what you'll hear and what everybody who's listening, they'll go, oh, and you or I might be surprised where somebody will come into your office and say, you know, Rebecca, when you were talking to Rick, and you're like, really? huh? So yeah. with yeah. that said, as people are listening to you and I, that um, these are birthrights and what each person um, as they're thinking about this is that is my experience in my family, so no judgment does it match this? Because this is a theoretical orientation and people, and I've had this happen with clients where they'll say, I don't know about that. And I'm like, you know, one of my uh, thoughts in working with clients is I'm not going to get into a power struggle. We're relationally on a path. I'll share a thought. And um, if they are not able to hear it at the present moment, they're not being difficult. It's where they're at. So again- Yeah. It's like, I'm not judging them. I'm going to go share with them Mm -hmm. in my healthy self. I'm going to say, well, that's okay, but I believe this is true. And with that said, the first thing that is, again, I know uh, you've spent some time with talking to other individuals. And I just want to say is that, that we call this core issue number one, but is that each child born into this world has inherent worth period just because and that it is in that system that you and I are talking about is that they learned if that was true or not true and everything I'm talking about now is a uh, continuum we call them polarities so it may be true with my dad, not true with my mom. I might've experienced it from my grandparent. And so part of the work that we do is helping them understand. And if they experience this in some way to understand that oftentimes, and I will say for most people, they don't have a sense of inherent worth. Mm-hmm. They are valuable just because they're themselves. And even though I know you've already talked about it and we can move on, but there are three ways that our world uh, primarily recognizes this, and this is through performance. So what I do, my degree, the street I live on, the community I reside in, um, attributes, things I have, including my children. For many people today, their attribute is how smart their kid is what they end up doing how well they perform on the soccer field etc um and then other based i have value because you tell me i have value and all of those are important rebecca but you don't want to be identified by those things you can appreciate That you've worked hard and you have this degree and you're in this position. That you've worked hard to live in this house or drive this car. Your kids are here because all kids are imperfect, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, They're going to have their struggles. And that I want to be in relationship with people. But if, Mm -hmm. if for whatever out of their wounding they pull away from me or don't like me, it doesn't define me.
2: Right.
1: I just go over that and over that because I think it's so deeply embedded, Rebecca and all of us to value. I mean, I
0: think it's embedded in our culture, Rick. I think it's 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 how um, our society is run, you know, I, I can't, you see any advertisement for anything somewhere and it's all about this stuff. You know, people are gonna like you more if you look a certain way or you drive a certain car, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right. So especially especially around the time of the new year, like that message is like <laughs> nice. so big, right? So um, this, is, this is so much a part of how we take in information about the world. Yes. And it's not often enough that we get the message that all the things that make us quirky, all the things that make us a misfit, all the things that make us ourselves are exactly what also like we haven't, we have worth just for being who we are and we don't have to be like anybody else to have that worth. We don't have to assimilate.
1: I I love that. Uh, And I know that Jan said this to you and, and again, that's not our topic today, but it does tie in with reality, which we're focusing on. Yeah. Um, but is that it is generated from the inside out, which means that This is the good news. The good news is no matter where you've come from, and I would really want people to hear this, no matter where you've come from, no matter what the story is that you can do this, you can begin to practice and have a sense of self, which is what we're looking at today, understanding that, and it might be a a cognitive exercise for many people initially. Uh, And you can do this, generated from the inside out. And it is one of the coolest experiences. We could talk about our own journeys, but we don't have time today, but I know you well enough. And I've shared enough of my own story in other places where that there's a moment. Um, James Finley calls it the axial moment. I've heard it termed the defining moment. As a therapist, we call it insight the moment of knowing k-n-o-w-i-n-g knowing the truth of that changes everything rebecca
0: yeah and and i often will have my clients practice that phrase that that you know is taught through this work that you and jan teach in healing our core issues that pia taught um that i'm enough and i matter despite my imperfections
1: yes yes that's that's it. I am enough and I matter. Um, you know, Brene Brown has really brought that to the foreground. That's part of hers is I am enough. And, Mm -hmm. uh, Pete has been talking about this for 40 years. And, um, that's again, part of our passion in this. And, um, I believe yours now is to give this to the folks that, that come into our paths and, so the second thing is that all children—that's—and mm-hmm. I know that's not even like. Let me back up. That um, that is critical, especially with knowing the self. The second birthright is that all children deserve to be protected because they're vulnerable. And we could spend our whole time today talking about the reality of the world that we live in. And um, the fact that, and I don't want to be political, but it just popped into my brain. What's, what's happened in our country in the last few years with yeah. children being separated from their parents at the board. I think we
0: have to just acknowledge it. It's a yeah. reality. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I felt it's, that it, in my body as I look at you and, and just yeah. said that, Rebecca.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think we have to notice because, you know, um, these children on the border, they deserve to be protected. And, and as a country, this country, the United States is doing them a great disservice, um, causing amazing amounts of trauma that are going to have a ripple effect.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really is. And, um, again, as, as you and I are sitting here talking about it, um, oftentimes, you know, I learned through teaching Mm-hmm. And I'm really gonna upset with that. That like really is, is not to make it too much. But if we think of what we would call core issue two, yeah. the way we work with people, does it make sense, Rebecca? Like totally, you and I it makes it together. makes
0: complete sense. I mean, and I th- I think children need protection on a whole bunch of different levels they when they're growing up. And um, as a society, as a culture, as a as a country, I think we have to look out for the most vulnerable. Because um, if it if that doesn't happen from the top down, then where does it happen, right? Yes. Um, and in in our smaller units and our family systems, which are also political structures, right? Like there's a hierarchy in a family.
2: There is. So
0: um, you know you might you might have a little family of four people, but there, that's a political structure in and of itself. And the children um, who have the least power need the most protection,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: um, so I, I think we can talk about this on the micro level, on the macro level, we, it's the same conversation. Uh, and, and like you say, all of these issues are part of a continuum. Yes. And so when we're talking about the family, it might be on one side of a continuum, we're, we're talking about what's happening in the world, it's on another, and it's the same issue. It's the same conversation in both directions.
1: And on the micro, just to come back to that for a moment, is that because that organically came up, and I think that might be a part of what needed to be spoken for you and I today, Rebecca, I believe that, Mm -hmm. is that in the family, this is as each one of those people are listening and reflecting on it is that I would encourage people to reflect on that because the need jerk response oftentimes again is that um okay so they'll they'll as you're looking at them and working with them um i was a vulnerable little child to really slow that down and then have them work with the idea of being protected by mom and dad and the system the church the coach that's a lot And all the ways that we can experience um, boundary, which is where this goes into, is violations of how we're talked to, how we're treated, uh, experiences that we've had, and and helping people to understand that impact on themselves as an adult. So thank you for bringing it back to micro, because that's ultimately, for you and I, where we're at.
0: And I I think what's coming up for me also on on both these levels, on both the micro and the macro, is we go back to the first birthright which is of our inherent worth and that the boundary violations happen when the inherent worth isn't really held and nurtured and respected, right? And so whether the boundary violation is an intrusion or the boundary violation is a neglect like a, a not having enough or having too much either, either way. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens when, when we don't see the individual as inherently worthy. And I think that's really what we're seeing on the border. Mm.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah uh, well spoken Rebecca. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is so true. And, yeah. and, and that's where each one of these, Uh, birthrights are individual and it's collective which is what you were describing with with what we would call core issue one Mm -hmm. and core issue two yeah so core issue three is the idea of every child the birthright is that they are allowed to be imperfect
0: I love this one and I just wanna pause us here for a minute because this one, in terms of learning this, this methodology, this particular core issue has perhaps had the biggest impact on me as a human. Mm. And so I just wanna kind of land there for a minute and just let folks really take in the power of this, that mm-hmm. every child's birthright is that you can be imperfect. Yes. Hmm. You know, one of the first things I remember, um, through our, your teachings, Rick, is there was a questionnaire that we went through. And one of the questions was when you were a child or when you were a teenager, were you allowed to make mistakes? Were you allowed to be spontaneous? Yes. Um, And I I use that questionnaire often in my work with my clients. And those questions tend to surprise people so much. I believe it. Yeah. Can you speak into that a little bit? I mean, I think that's, that's one of the first places, I think, so many of us don't have those opportunities to make mistakes.
1: And I think that as people are listening to you and I right now, and and you sharing about your own experience of really reflecting on that, that's that axial moment. That's the moment of aha. Hmm. You know, it's like, hmm, let me think about that. And so if, if a person grew up in a family structure, and I've worked with many individuals who felt and this is one of those places where I've had interesting discussions with people, um, as I said before, just dialoguing back and forth, sharing. Um, because I believe this is true, Rebecca. Is this is a major paradigm shift for people because they deeply, because it's embedded in them, think that that's ridiculous what you just said, you know, and and so you know, I'm, I'm smiling as I look at you because I'm sure you've had that as well, because mm-hmm. the methods that I got from my mom, my dad, the system, the church,
0: the uh, school, the educational system, the wherever,
1: wherever mm-hmm. is, this is not an option.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is, is not an option. And the pressure then that people, which is part of what you and I talked about before we began this, why it was, it, you know, you said, can we spend some time here, Rick? Is the idea of there is no way, Rebecca, that you can know who you are, which is reality. Yeah. You have this as a part of your belief system that I have to present in the world in a certain way. That's one of the things that I say, Rebecca, is there and i This is a great quote and I'll take credit for, uh, that there is a way to be in the world. Quote unquote, do not deviate. If you do dot, dot, dot. Mm. And anybody that's listening right now can fill in that blank. For me, it will mean this. Um, I'll just, I'm in the Midwest and, um, and um, knowing that, um, call it the Bible Belt, that there's a way to be in the world, Rebecca. And if you deviate, dot, 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 you will go to hell, mm-hmm. period. And it's, it's not just Catholic, it's not just evangelical, uh, Orthodox Jews. I've learned this from multiple, which was, has been fascinating over this last 15 years as I've embraced this and believe it's true working with people with spiritual abuse because they're terrified. I don't know if that makes sense, but- It does. There is a way to be in the world. Um, I started with kind of the, you talk about macro and micro coming back to the family system. Um, To grow up in the Jones family, the Wilson family is to present to the world in a certain way. And if, if you go left or right, you are shamed, you are bad. So how can anybody, and I'm just using two, there are many, like you said, educational systems, our grading system, uh, just using that as an example. And and this is part of getting the story straight for each one of us. For you, it has a storyline. For me, it has a storyline. Again, that word of nuance for mm-hmm. each one of us. But to really know the self yeah you have to embrace this Rebecca
0: and and to really know the self I think you know another piece that I think has come up in my work is how often we as little people growing up learn that we need to contort ourselves to Mm. match somebody else's expectations whether it be a parent or a teacher, or whoever, so that we can survive so that we can be safe so that we won't be hurt or injured or our boundaries won't be violated. And so in doing that repetitively, as we grow, we get further and further away from the core of who we are. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we kind of don't learn that. Mm
2: -hmm. So,
0: um, you know, I, I realized that, uh, And it wasn't until really studying this work that I I realized how much one of my traumas growing up wasn't wasn't within the educational system. It was around education.
2: Mm.
0: And um, I spent so much time trying to meet the system and very little time learning how I learned. Mm. Right. So I was failing inside of the system and not getting to know what I, what I did well or how I did it or, or how I could learn this topic if I learned it a different way.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, um, so I think that's just one example of how, uh, how knowing the self gets kind of circumvented because we're trying so hard to do things right for others or for a system or an institution. Um, And we do it at the expense of not getting to know ourselves.
1: Um, I appreciate you sharing a bit about that uh, as far as your story, because that's what I would want the individuals who are listening to us to think about is that uh, what, what were the messages? That's a part of uh, core issue three. If I'm imperfect and I, and I can begin to think about what that would mean for me, what does that look like? Because uh, we've talked about the idea of the continuum. The other part of that then is that so often for people is that they've learned that they can't be perfect and they give up Mm -hmm. and which it it creates that they think they're, they again, they've given up on the being perfect or what you were describing falls in there is to the end. in this process, I love this quote. Um, they become the best at being bad. Yeah. That their reality then is identified as I am the problem. I'm the problem. I screw up. And then just like you were talking about, we're attracted to partners and jobs and, and storylines. And, and that's when I've really been exploring recently is when people um, including addiction, uh, you know the addiction is a symptom.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we can we can manage addiction, the unwanted behaviors that we experience in our lives, whatever they might be. But if we go underneath of that, I think embedded again. Yeah, yeah. The other side of this polarity is this is my story, like so many people that do well, and then screw up, make a mistake. It's almost like they can't tolerate success because, and it's unconscious. So much of what we're talking about right now yeah. is the unconscious part. And so getting your story straight, doing and bringing this- bringing it
0: into consciousness.
1: And bringing it right mm-hmm. into consciousness where I'm, I'm really aware of what just happened there because for the person on both sides of this continuum, which is so fascinating. Again, this is reality. I'm good and perfect and the impact on me and, and what that means, and if I'm the problem and what that means, but underneath of all of that is the shame.
0: Yeah. You know, what comes up is a, a quote that I'm going to pull from LaShonda, uh, our colleague LaShonda Sugg, who mm-hmm. was on this podcast and something that she said during our interview, um, there were three questions that she she kind of highlighted and I think they really speak to bringing to consciousness what these stories are. And Mm. those questions are, who taught me that? Mm. Where did I learn that? And who is benefiting from me believing that about myself?
1: Um, We'll give Lashonda credit if those are hers. Those are excellent questions that tie into core issue three. Yeah, reality which is knowing the self and those are so important to answer like yeah that we pause with no judgment reflect so much of this work I call reflective narrative Mm -hmm. because it's being in the present moment no judgment understanding and and those are just incredible questions because when I can get to the root of that um And I, I love quotes. If, if folks could see in my office, I have three by five cards and placards and all kinds of stuff, because like, I'm going to add those, those are such great questions, but, um, Pia said, so we'll add two more quotes. I think you'll like these is, uh, that our parents teach us who we are and how we are supposed to be treated in the world. Mm. Isn't that good? Yeah. I mean, it, just number one, again, ref- just pausing right there. Yeah. That's the beginning of, of being sense of self. That is the beginning of, of the sense of self.
0: I, th- I think the second half of that quote is perhaps. It's really important. They teach us how we're supposed to be treated in the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like, yes, they, they reach in and they help us figure out who we are and that piece about teaching us how we're supposed to be treated in the world. I think that's such a significant part of this that um, is perhaps one of the most implicit or hidden parts. One of the parts that is so unconscious that we don't recognize that that message about how we're supposed to be treated in the world is such an early message. We've digested it, metabolized it. It's such an early part of our lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot with my clients is that this this work really is healing generational wounds Mm -hmm. because we're going back through um, our parents. They were raised, they raised us and they were raised by somebody who was raised by somebody who was raised by somebody who was raised by somebody. And in all of these layers, there are... um, there, there may be woundings and there may be a need to heal from the, the stories that have been placed upon or the ways that we have been asked to contort ourselves to make, in many cases, our parents comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so if we're being asked at a young age to contort to make our parents comfortable, like they had to do for theirs, like they did for theirs, like they did for theirs, and we go back many generations, mm-hmm. we can see where these stories came from.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so maybe we can hold them a little more warmly without judging the story itself Mm -hmm. and simultaneously, um, become more conscious of that story so that we can also learn how to show up in a way that really is more authentic about who we are, as opposed to who we've been told we need to be.
1: Absolutely. I think that, um, what you just said, is so critical for people. Um, I know I'm sharing things that are emerging for me at this point, Um, part of uh, just over the last year, uh, the idea of what you just described. I, in my earliest training, I I always was attracted to this, uh, the psychodynamic field, the idea of of, uh, what, historically has happened in our lives and the generational part is what has been for me and the epigenics of it which is emerging now Mm -hmm. that that the things that our parents learned from their parents from our great-grandparents that have brought to the present and then for us uh our children and our grandchildren and um, I know that you and LaShonda again talked about that but one of the things that's fascinating to me Rebecca I read a book last year that was just uh, transformative in and in a thinking and integrating it with our work but this idea of the epigenetics that genes are passed on generationally
2: mm-hmm.
1: but they're you know and we know that with hair color and eyes and all kinds of things but I think there's a, a part of it that's what you just described, that sometimes that can be generationally um, brought to a generation, skip a generation, Yep. you know, the recessive gene. And I think that's also important, again, with understanding. So I, I appreciate you pausing right there and yeah. saying what you said. And I just shared with you what's been, you know, um, a risk area for me.
0: Yeah. And if I, you know, I think the epigenetics and the, the, the transgenerational trans what I call transgenerational transmission of trauma, Mm -hmm. um, and also potential for healing. Mm -hmm. Um, if that's a conversation that also interests our listeners, there's a, there's a few episodes on the podcast that they can listen to, including one with, um, with Mark Wolleen, where we talk about inherited family trauma. So there's a lot of other information and research out there and, uh, you know, one of the things that Mark really brought to that conversation was even just a discussion of, and I know some listeners may have some issues with this, but the discussion um, in a scientific way of lab rats and how the genes get passed down. And so if you're interested in that listeners, um, there are other episodes here on the podcast that will be more informative around the specifics of the epigenetics. But I think Rick, what I'd really like to talk about with you is the, um, the impact that trauma has in terms of influencing how we know ourselves. I I think that that is like such a big piece of this conversation here.
1: I, um, just want to ask you a question. And so again, because it was live with us is that, because I can't remember. So did Mark write the book? It didn't start with you.
0: It didn't start. Yeah. That's Mark.
1: That was the book I read last year. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) I decided not to say it, but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to have to go back and listen. I've listened to some of your podcasts, but I'll have to go back and find that because that book was, uh, you know, each year how, uh, books and, and that was a, um, a, a definitely showstopper. Like, as I read it and thought about it and some things that was, some things that were happening in my own life that I thought you can't make that up. It was like, yeah things that happen so
0: yeah he has a great story about it
1: yeah yeah his yeah. story is in the book so yeah that's fun that was organic right there so now we can <laughs> we can come back <laughs> to yeah. and our, our work in reality so yes yeah. I I um actually have been reflecting on that and I I would just say again that what I would want people to as we talk about how this influences us is that um Trauma is used a lot. We were talking about mindfulness and attachment and those are words now. And I uh, know that trauma is used a lot. And I can remember the first time, which was about 10 years ago, I heard the definition in the Greek. And that's what I would emphasize here as we, as we talk about that is wound. So that, that when we hear the word trauma, What I would want people to think about is my experience of being wounded. Because to be wounded in the moment, and it can be what we call explicit or overt, or it can be explicit covert, which we would call neglect. And again, these these polarities that we're talking about. But there is a deep impact on people where they begin to think about how to survive in the system that they're in. So if they've been wounded, and I know that you and Jan talked about this a bit, but I just wanna emphasize this because I think this is the core of it with knowing the self. We were designed to be incredibly resilient. We're talking about these young kids on the borders or in your family system. And so we're taught who we are and how to be treated in the world and what we call this is this is our historical self. This is embedded in us and that we learn how to adapt. Um that's the work of Pia Melody. Um, internal family system calls it parts and has a little bit different take on it. Uh, Charles Whitfield calls it the inner child. You know, so it's it's different people, but it's the idea of growing up in my system. And that's where this begins, going back to your question and this, I believe also being so important and why we say getting the story straight, really understanding is critical to the sense of self because until we understand how we developed no matter what our system was from a mild slight um in a really good family to severe traumatic abusive kinds of things and neglect which is its own category is that I learn as a child, my resilience and how to be in the world. So we talk about being in the world. Mm-hmm. The trauma then tells me how to present myself. Right. So the knowing of self is so strongly linked to my wounding. Does that make sense?
0: It makes total sense. Like I, a, a very brief story that I often share about my own wounding is... Um, growing up in my family, I would often say, this is how I feel. And the answer I would get would be, no, you don't. So mm-hmm. the message was, you don't know your own feelings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's been something that I've been on a, a quest throughout my life to heal from and to learn about. And I am doing pretty awesome about that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just an example of the ways that sometimes those wounds are not so um. Not so explicit; they're not so in your face, and yet the ongoing nature of them over the years gets in and kind of affects how we learn to see ourselves in the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. The message I got was that I couldn't trust knowing my own feelings.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and with you sharing that, that would be another one of those pauses for us with individuals who are listening to us, just just your example, then translated to their own story. Cause these are the messages that kids get is, yeah. Oh, you don't think that don't say that don't feel that
0: don't do that.
1: Don't do that. Those are the big ones that the, and that happens in partnerships too, which then, um, is a part of the work that you and I would do. And, and, uh, Terry talks about that with the five losing strategies and the second yes. one controlling behavior, which is the, one of the partners feels controlled, especially if they've done some recovery. But what happens is that if you grew up with those type of messages, then you question your reality. So mm-hmm. for you with emotions, with somebody else, you know, one of the classics with that is that growing up in an alcoholic home, and I have a client who, uh, gave me permission to tell the story, but, you know, growing up in his family, his father was a abusive alcoholic and his mother after a traumatic experience would deny what had happened. So he questioned his reality. Yeah. Did that happen? Was it that bad? And so, you know, I just, I think that's so important as we're It's so about.
0: important. Yeah. And and that there's a lot of different degrees to which traumas happen. I've had a lot of clients over the years, many, where they they have experienced a really significant trauma and mm-hmm. a, a situation of abuse. And then the, there's a secondary trauma where when they bring that story back to their families of origin, to the people that they're closest with, they're disbelieved. And that is sometimes bigger
1: mm-hmm. than the
0: original trauma itself it's the not being believed part then the not being taken seriously the the not being protected
1: yeah that yes using using that example of that and 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 one of the terms that that we use gaslighting yeah kids experience a lot of of that type of experience like there's there is precious young Rebecca. I'm going to use you for a moment. Mm-hmm. Who's having some emotions about something and told, and she's smart. So there's, I'm going to factor that in. She's smart. She knows what she's feeling. And she says, oh, after she's told to stop it. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Wait a minute. Huh? And then, and then the message that gets internalized to survive in that family structure is either that I'm bad or that I need to be quiet. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so there's there's a choice point for that child Mm -hmm. growing up Mm -hmm. to some extent, but Mm -hmm. there's also like kind of an archetype that gets set up that this is who you're gonna be in this family, this is who you are. Mm -hmm. And then you carry that this is who you are into the rest of your life and it often gets in the way of you getting to know who you are
1: the the adapted self um and i'll again because he's given me permission i'm not giving his identity away is that he really did question and minimize because he i could tell you stories that are horrifying that Mm -hmm. he thought were normal and he and i talked together about that and he's like Is that a big deal that one night I complained about something my mom had cooked and his dad in a rage jumped up and shoved his face and held it down and said, not only will you eat all that and just went into a tirade in front of his siblings and, and, and as he and I talked about that, and then again, same thing as you, is he learned in that moment to keep his mouth shut. Right, right. And, and again, that's a nuanced thing. If we step back from it, he didn't like green beans or whatever it was, but it's the fact that he shared a thought yeah, that he had or emotion, you know? Um, and
0: can I just pause there for our me. listeners, too, and highlight another maybe not so spoken about piece of the story that you just shared?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The siblings that bore witness to that
2: mm-hmm. exchange, mm-hmm. right,
0: that they also took something in of that
2: mm-hmm. and
0: um, that these are all the different ways that those stories get concocted,
2: mm-hmm. that
0: it's it's not always the things that are done to us. It's also the things that nobody stopped that were happening around us or you know the things that we witnessed happening to other people that we cared about. These are all parts of that that, that we learn from even witnessing that stuff. If I'm gonna be safe here, I have to dot dot dot.
1: Right. That that's the dot dot dot. It's that and those become again the structure from which we move into then what I would call our adult life and relational yeah. trauma as we are in friendships, work have a partner attempt to be in the world and that uh, to say what I think, to have my emotion, to have a desire, it's too dangerous.
0: Yeah. And, and so Rick, something that I'm, I'm wanting to explore with you for a moment is around kind of how, as we start doing the work of getting back to knowing the self, as we start trying to come back Mm -hmm. into into a relationship with ourself, I have found that starting somatically is so mm-hmm. incredibly important,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: Because so much of the information that we take in through the world, we take from the world, we take in in a sensory way. We take mm-hmm. in through what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we touch, what we feel, and as we take in that information, we make up stories about the world. Um, and from those stories come our feelings and our reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we start to do the work here, we really want to trace back to that somatic felt sense of what that information that we're taking in is.
1: Yes. And what I would say is using this example of how how that is healing for people is uh, using this story is for this man to be present and he's in his later 60s and has been working really hard on knowing his own story and for him to be able to, and I use this term, Rebecca, to tolerate those sensations you were just describing, that, that we'll talk a bit about the story and just in honoring as a witness for him to sit in his presence, to validate reality, To name reality, that was not okay. And your mom was in a difficult situation, but she chose to marry this man. So there's multiple ways that we address reality and then link it with what you just said. So we name it and then we pause and then we let, and that's why I say tolerate because it for some people is a lot to just allow themselves to feel the sensations the way that you were just describing it to just what was it like for that 10-year-old boy that day, which is another uh, part of our work, which we didn't get into today, but the experiential processes that tie in with reality, Mm -hmm. really understanding and, and going back, which is such incredibly powerful work into its mind's eye work Uh, the experiential processes, uh, which would be, you know, you've talked about probably in other places, but is that you can do it in session just the way you described, where you're just present with this person, letting them somatically, because we believe, which is our fourth part, just to, to say that because this is where we wanted to spend most of our time, but the fourth mindfulness attachment theory work, uh, core issues work and somatic work based on the work of Peter Levine, but Bessel van der Kolk, Janina Fisher. There's a lot of people that, that are, are doing a lot of incredible somatic work right now and that releasing the trauma through just the ability to sit and notice the sensations and to be present with them releases what we believe is sixty years stored. Yeah, incredibly powerful. Yeah,
0: one of my um, one of my other past guests, Julianne Shore, a colleague of mine, she she says that you know much much of the relational work comes, the relational healing comes from our ability, and I think this happens not just in relationships but also in relationship with ourselves. Mm. Much of that healing comes from the ability to say, "Kind of, um, I value you enough that I'm willing to sit here in discord with you."
2: Mm. I like that.
0: Right. Mm. Um, so, so in a way, as we get good with ourselves, as we do that work, we're also saying that to our, to ourselves: "I I value myself enough that I'm willing to sit." In, and tolerate these uncomfortable emotions to sit in this discord, mm-hmm. um, which reminds me also of the work of Ed Tronic. Have mm-hmm. you seen his his latest book, the "Power of Discord"?
1: No, but I like Ed's work. I'm familiar with it, but no. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So, so I I, I love um, the way that they kind of highlight in this book. I think it's he wrote the book with Claudia Gold. They they talk about essentially that there's in a healthy dynamic in a healthy relationship, we're not supposed to be in attunement all the time, that there's room for discord. At least two thirds of of the time in a relationship, we actually need discord. And then of that two thirds of the time where there is discord, about half of that time, so one third of the time in the relationship, we're noticing that there's discord and we're reaching back and saying, can we have a reparative moment? Can I just allow you to know that I noticed that and that we can sit in that discord together? There's a significant amount of time we're not even going to reach back for that attunement. But it's those reparative moments that really mean everything. Mm-hmm. And so they mean things when we're growing up, they mean things in our adult relationships, they mean things also in our relationship to ourselves, just to be able to sit in discord is um, a really healing and relational skill.
1: Love that. It is. And that's part of what's so exciting today as we talk about different authors and modalities and ways to be in the world. I think that um, so much beautiful healing happening right now in in a lot of different ways. And healing our core issues is a model, a way to think. And um, I am passionate about this. And I also believe in many other ways. I'm EMDR trained. I'm an I believe in the work of uh, psychodrama and storyboarding mm-hmm. and and just so many, again, cognitive behavioral, so you know? much. I mean, yeah. meaning, right? you know. Um, and, Can I bring and- us
0: back to healing our core issues for one minute, Rick?
1: Sure. I know we're coming to the end here. Yeah, so. we,
0: we are. And I just want to, I, I don't want to leave this conversation without finishing talking about the, the core issues. So mm-hmm. we talked about basically three of them so far, but we ha- there's two we haven't talked about. And mm-hmm. I just want to make sure we at least name them and, and give a little, um, you know, so we've, we've talked about our, um, our birthright of not having to be perfect. We've talked about our birthright of being vulnerable and needing to be protected. We've talked about um, knowing ourselves and there's, there's two more pieces there, right? Two more birthrights.
1: There, there are two more. So we'll do the fire hose approach here. Yep. <laughs> and that, um, that what we call is, and is important to understand is core issue for the birthright is that each child born into the world has a right to be taken care of. Yeah. They are a dependent little soul and that again, for just this bit of time is that growing up in my family, which is is what we say and we look at, is where my basic needs taken care of? And that, again, can be food, shelter, clothing. So if we think of Maslow's hierarchy, those basic needs, but we're really looking at all of the needs of a child, which is love and belonging. As we move up Maslow, we look at did I have these experiences? And that's where I say they all tie in together. And so being able to spend time, but children then, I call this one in the work of Eric Erickson, ages and stages. So initially yeah. the vulnerable little baby is taken care of. And then at, you know, two years old, you help the child help pick up the toys and then a five-year-old and 16 years old. and So we're, we're developing, but we're learning again, in the family system, about that our needs matter, and I will just say, our wants do as well. And I'm not talking about extravagance, I'm not talking about, but basically knowing the self, core issue three, and the wants being seen and heard, and that whole topic in itself.
0: <laughs> it's a, and it's a big topic and, and one worth coming back to for its own conversation. And yes. then the last, the last of these birthrights or the last of these core issues.
1: All children deserve to experience spontaneity. And here's the other new word that I've really been working with, Rebecca, that they, meaning that they can be a child and experience joy all kids, and when I think about personality profiles, you know, uh, I believe we're, we're born with that structure in place, and then the family enhances it, ideally, um, as we've talked about, now the wounding, the things unfold, but that I really believe, I've been paying attention to the fact that how that shows up in our adult life. If we were mm-hmm. never able to be a kid, if we were never able to be spontaneous and open, that all the, the previous things we talked about influence number five, and it's critical. Yeah. And for many adults, they don't know how to play. They don't yeah. know how it ties in with margin. And they sure as heck have no idea about joy. Yeah. And I'm not saying that in a judgmental way, but I'm passionate about people really understanding how critical as an adult to live their best self is is to be able to be spontaneous and open with containment and to experience joy. Does that make sense? That's a new one. I've been really working on joy.
0: It makes so much sense. One of my teachers, Dr. Clarissa pincola Estes, talks about the importance of kind of bringing back in the child spirit as she calls it. And I think we're really talking about something very, yeah. very akin here. You know, that that child spirit is the one who, um, who knows how to jump in puddles and make a mess with mud and, you know, roll down hills and, and do a whole bunch of really fun, just open hearted things that are less uh, connected to all the messages that we took in that told us what we can't be.
1: One yes, that I would say that's an equivalent. That's that's the heart of what I'm talking about, and I'm not familiar with her work, but I love it. Is that idea of and this is the example that I give, and it's it's um, my middle son Ryan as a as a little boy who still is like this as an adult. He's my snowboarding child, um, and but as a little boy, I can remember him skipping down the street. To me, that's the definition of number five, spontaneous and open and joy. I don't know if you can see that in your mind's eye, Rebecca, but a mm-hmm. child skipping. Yeah. To me, that embodies what we're talking about right here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, when I said that he is an adult, I I appreciate that about him is that, that uh, he is embracing and living his best life. Not perfectly, but. He's, you know, and I admire that.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there, there's, um, my husband likes watching these YouTube videos of just uh, these different random ones. And we were watching one the other day about this guy who's been a professional snowboarder for 30, 40 years and has built himself. It, he took about five years to build himself this this house Um, Made out of boulders that were found on top of a mountain and he lives on a summit and he snowboards right out of his house every day And then he built this wonderful van that he can travel and go find all the most freshest powdered snow and I mean Talk about somebody who really knows how to live in that space of joy. Yes Um, And so I just was affected by that Um, As you were talking about your son. I was also thinking like oh, it's totally possible and so many of us are disconnected from elements of it. So no. that's so much what this work is about. It's about getting back to both the authenticity of who we are and, um, to inviting that, that child spirit or that, that joyfulness back into our lives.
1: Yes. And, and that's where, it, again, organically that coming up that you had just seen that YouTube in it and it struck you in yeah. that way. Um, and I could give other examples of, you know, each one of my kids and experiences with both Katie and Roth. I have uh, my oldest as a daughter, Ryan's my middle and then Ross is my youngest, but you have two daughters, I know. And so it's, again, it's that reflective part of just through the child that we can be yeah. reminded of as adults. And sometimes, and this is, this is an area I'm working on, Rebecca, and full disclosure, that's been a challenge and it's part of my story developmental trauma is that it's not good or bad. It's just my story, not judging it. And um, disability is, I think, uh, number five core issue is, is a passion of mine, personally, in my adult self.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Growing. I can really appreciate it. Um, I think, you know, a, a friend of mine was talking about their daughter doing these like mermaid hair flips in the bath the other day <laughs> I- and getting the whole bathroom, you know, with, with their hair spraying everywhere. And another friend of mine was saying, how could you let that happen? Oh my goodness. You know? And so it's, it's these kinds of conversations that, um, I think are, are so enlightening around these kinds of pieces and, and really help us to see the fullness of our human experiences.
1: And I love that one. And of course, because of my children growing up, that just immediately went to Little Mermaid, right? Yeah. And that was the image. I don't know if that's what she had watched or whatever, but those hair flips like that, you know, just yeah. well, great. they're
0: just so fun to do. It's like jumping in puddles. I remember when my kids were, were tiny um, and it was raining out, we'd put on their galoshes and we'd go out and we'd jump in all the puddles on the driveway. And if we had to go somewhere next, I had to have a change of clothes prepared before we even went out the door to the house because I knew how messy we would get quickly. Um, but that was also part of getting out of the house. I couldn't get them out of the house unless we could go jump into a puddle. So um, there's a negotiation there. And and I think that is also partly what comes back to this continuum that we're talking about, how all of this lives on this continuum of... Mm-hmm. Um, how to how to negotiate being human
1: how to be human which is core issue three
0: yeah
1: ultimately i would i would say that what i would want uh to be heard would be the idea of to be human is to be imperfect and to be able to Mm -hmm. experience all that we have talked about today uh embodying your life with all of your imperfections all of your challenges
0: yeah Yeah, that feels like a really nice place to land. Thank you, Rick. Can you tell our listeners how they can find you?
1: You can find me at drrickbutts.com. That would be my website. And um, if you're interested as a therapist listening to this, you can listen or or find uh, me and the training at healingourcoreissuesinstitute.com. So those would probably be the two primary ways uh, to be able to make contact with me or the Institute.
0: Wonderful, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today.
1: Thank you, Rebecca, for inviting me on and I have uh, enjoyed our time together here today.
0: Good, me too. All right friends that's it for today but before you go i just want to remind you to check out my six-week online course supporting your relational self and my two-day online relationship boot camp both are available at connectfulness.com offerings and also don't forget to go over to why does and send us a question for the new podcast can't wait to hear from you and i look forward to seeing you again pretty soon with another episode And if you want to support the ongoing production of this podcast, the best way that you can do that is to simply subscribe and rate the show on Apple podcast or your favorite podcast platform, and then share it with folks, let them know what you liked and why you liked it. I would greatly appreciate that. I want to express my deep gratitude for Sarah and Chris Farris, the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack for the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. They recorded and mixed the soundtrack at Kidney Stone Studio. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. Until our next episode, take care, stay healthy, be well.